0: Our sermon this morning is from Luke chapter 4, verses 31 through 44. This is the word of God, so we would be wise to listen. And he went down to Capernaum, he being Jesus. Jesus went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee. And he was teaching them on the Sabbath, and they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. And in the synagogue there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! And he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her, and immediately she rose and began to serve them. Now when the sun was setting, all those who, were, who, uh, who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God but he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. And when it was day, he departed and went to a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Peace be with you. Good morning,
1: everyone. Uh, my name is Don, so I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, as always, just wonderful to be with you on the Lord's Day. Let's, let's begin this morning just with a, a brief recap. So we've been in Luke, and we saw that from the very beginning, from the opening chapters, we saw song break out in Luke's gospel in response to the end of the world's waiting for the promised Messiah. We've seen Jesus and John grow up as the world around them anticipates their foretold futures to be made manifest. We saw Jesus' baptism mark the beginning of his ministry as well as Israel's washing and repentance, their exit from the wilderness and re-entry into the promised land. And as Paul preached last week, we witnessed Jesus deliver his first sermon in the synagogue. The year of Jubilee is here. All debts will be canceled. Eyes will be opened. Prisoners, poor and the oppressed, will be lifted up and relieved. True Sabbath rest will be established and enjoyed. As I mentioned a few weeks ago, Jesus is like a new Joshua, leading God's people into the land that God promised to them. And if you remember Joshua's story, you'll recall that before the promised land could be secured, Canaanite enemies had to be driven out of the land. And something very similar is happening in our text this morning. Jesus is coming as the greater Joshua to do the exact same thing. But he's coming to win the battle in a way that Joshua didn't. Whereas Joshua came with weapons of war, Jesus, the new Joshua, comes with his word. It's not less of a conquest. In fact, it's more of one. Joshua's conquest was a shadow of this one. As a warrior, Joshua could kill and drive out idolaters, but Jesus is driving out the enemy behind the enemy. His conquest is not genocide. His conquest is liberation for the people from a bondage from bondage from a greater enemy, a more ancient enemy than Rome. As we pick up our text this morning, Jesus has just eluded his attackers, making his way down to Capernaum, which will be the base of his ministry operation. Let's read again. And he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath and they were astonished at his teaching for his word possessed authority. So they were astonished. This is an important word. It's not new for us because everywhere that Jesus goes, every time that Jesus speaks, there's bewilderment, there's amazement. There are probably many of us who have been in the presence of a a charismatic speaker whose words have kept us or held us in awe. Jesus certainly has that here, but there is more at stake than just his compelling speech. Jesus isn't just teaching. He isn't just sharing his opinion. He isn't just giving a viewpoint. He himself is bringing the truth and the claim of God to bear upon all the people in a way that is truly remarkable. And to get at this, it's helpful for us to understand something about just the tenor of the time here. When a Jewish rabbi or scribe would teach in the synagogue, he would do so on the basis of another's authority. He would reference his teacher or he would reference another rabbi. So they would say, Rabbi so-and-so said this, and so I'm repeating his teaching. And the implication was that that rabbi so-and-so had learned it from another rabbi and he from another rabbi and so on and so forth all the way back to Moses who had received the teaching directly from God. So the implication is, if someone is teaching, they are appealing to the authority dating all the way back to Moses, and therefore God. And this is what makes Jesus' teaching astounding. Rather than appealing to human authority, he is teaching as one who holds authority. The word for authority here is exousia, and it literally means ex, out of substance. It is out of Jesus' own substance, his own self, that he is teaching. He is claiming an authority that is greater than Moses. In fact, he's claiming an authority that is equal to God himself. As to what Jesus was teaching, we, we really don't know word for word. It could be something consistent with the Sermon on the Mount or with other places in the Gospels where we hear the content of Jesus' preaching. But that said, I do think our our last two verses today give us some particular insight here. So let's read those. Verses 43 and 44. Jesus says this, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. So I think this gives us a really good idea of what Jesus was preaching in every synagogue, every place that he went to. Jesus' teaching was announcing a message to the world. The good news of the kingdom of God has come. The reign of God so long awaited is now beginning. And this is also what made Jesus' teaching shocking. Because to say that the kingdom of God had come meant that Israel's exile was drawing to a close. That they were about to be vindicated against their enemies. That their God was returning to at last deal with evil, to right wrongs, to convict and forgive, and to bring justice to those who were thirsting for it like dying people in a desert. Jesus says, that's why the Father sent me. And what does that look like? Let's keep reading. And hang in, hang in with me here a bit because we're going to read a larger portion together. And in the synagogue, there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? And he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many crying, you are the son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. So rather than reading these three scenes one by one, I wanted to take them all together and then move through them with just a little little bit of fluidity. The references to angelic rulers, a heavenly army, and conflict with the devil in these early chapters should should really catch our attention and make it clear to us that a battle of spiritual powers is taking place. And so we shouldn't only focus on the surface events. The work that Jesus is doing here is not only releasing a few tormented souls from bondage, Jesus is Israel's Lancelot, and he has come to subdue her greatest enemies and place them under his feet. In this first scene, on the, on the morning of the Sabbath, demonic forces are living in the synagogue, threatening to render it a desolate place. This is really important because the sanctuary, it is the heart of Israel's life and worship and service to the nations. It's out of this place that Israel knows how to live, how to transact with God. They know how to welcome the nations. They know how to share peace with one another and with God. So by taking up residence, not only in the sanctuary where God dwells, but in this man's soul, we're getting a picture of oppressed and divided Israel. That's what sin and our enemy do to us. They divide us and harden us internally. They separate us and they oppress us externally. See, Luke is trying to tell us something. Israel's worship and soul are disordered. And Jesus, having already demonstrated his authority in teaching, demonstrates his powerful word of deliverance as he silences, calls out, and sends away this group of unclean spirits. He's driving out enemies at the center of Israel's heart so that she can return to right worship. He is the greater Joshua. From there in the afternoon of the Sabbath, we hear of the healing of Simon's mother-in-law. And as Jesus seems to have stayed in this house, she was probably one of the women who helped support his ministry. We'll later read in 1 Corinthians that she accompanied Peter as a fellow worker. Luke speaks of Simon's mother-in-law here He speaks of the fever as as something that's almost like a form of possession. It afflicts her. We get more than just a sense that this is a we get we get more than just a sense that this is a real enemy. But Jesus rebukes it and it leaves her. And then this is I think this is wonderful. She rises and begins to serve. It's a picture of resurrection. Israel is sick and unable to serve as she was meant to. Jesus' restoration of this woman is his promise to restore Israel. It's his promise to restore Israel made manifest. God's people will be raised from death to new life and gladly offer themselves as living sacrifices of service. And finally, at the end of the Sabbath, as the sun is going down, and as a new day is about to begin, people are coming to him in the evening and throughout the night, and he heals many people of their diseases. He does this all night. He enters into the darkness and does battle all night. And when day comes, he goes to a desolate place to pray and be with his father. See, wherever Jesus goes, life and health break out. He is the physician who has come to heal those who are sick. In Jesus, God invades the world in order to reclaim his disordered creation. And many of those whom Jesus heals and helps are in a state of death. And Jesus is the flowing river of Eden, which comes to renew the dry land where there is no water. In driving out evil and healing the sick, Jesus is defeating Israel's enemies. He is coming in to clear out the land from their greatest enemy. And he demonstrates his power over demons and sickness by not even letting them speak and give away his true identity before the right time. Now, I do, want us to, I do want us to sit in this just a little bit and consider again these respective deliverances because I think Luke has picked a few in particular that we should be looking at. But think about it this way. Jesus delivers a man's soul from possession. He delivers a woman's body from sickness, raises her up to serve. He delivers the land from enemies. He delivers the synagogue from unclean spirits to reestablish true worship. And he delivers the people from disease. See, it seems to me that every sphere of society where people live is being reordered, it's being redeemed, the soul, the body, the land, the sanctuary, the people. Jesus says, I've come for it all. And he does all of these things on the Sabbath, the very thing that the Sabbath was made for, for the loosening of bonds of wickedness for the relieving people of oppression, for feeding the hungry, for clothing the naked, for welcoming people. This is what the Sabbath was made for. And if you think about it, truly what brings salvation is a change of authority. To overthrow a ruler whose reign brings nothing but darkness, destruction, and pain. And to replace it with a ruler whose rule is like light and new life. Like green grass after the rain. The enemy that first deceived humanity and has been poisoning us ever since has met and is going to meet his end in our Savior King. So what does that mean for us, brothers and sisters? Let's go back to this scripture. And they were all amazed and said to one another, what is this word? For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits and they come out. Jesus exercises this power because he has a word. Jesus uses the word of God to tear down the enemy fortresses of the world. He's doing all of these things with the word of God. He speaks and they happen. And having that same word, allowing the word of God to be in our mouths is how we channel That power. As Christians, it's how we derive that power. To see, we see to His Word dwelling in us richly, and we remember that we share the same Father with Jesus, our King. Jesus is our champion, defeating Satan without our help. But He is also our example. And our captain showing us how to defeat Satan alongside of him. And we do that by living on the word that proceeds from the mouth of God, feeding on it with hunger that surpasses our hunger for bread. So, brothers and sisters of Sojourn, let us read the word with others. Let us memorize the word. Let us recite the word. Let us sing the word. Let us speak the word to one another. Because to do so, to do so, to proclaim the coming of the kingdom, to proclaim the good news to each other and to all, is to tear down the forces of darkness. But it's not just the word where we derive this power, it's also going, like Jesus, to the desolate place to pray and be near our Father. Because according to this passage, what made Jesus so powerful was that he had a rich prayer life and he knew the word. Sojourn, the words that we use to call upon God in our prayers are our power. Prayer is the divine speech that empowers all the other words of the church. It it empowers all the other speaking and talking of the church because it calls on God to empower his people for his purposes. It calls on him to empower us for his purposes. And when we pray, the powers of God's kingdom are at work in the very prayers themselves. Our prayers are like drawn arrows pointed at the enemy and at the gates of hell. Our prayers as the church seek one great thing, the final manifestation of God's kingdom rule on the earth. And so we pray for neighbors and for families and for outcasts and for coworkers and for families and trusting in all of this, that the Spirit will work and move in power. Finally, I want, I want to have just a moment of attention from all of, all of the kids in the gathering. If you could just give me your eyes for a moment. I want you to hear this for a moment. I'm gonna explain, so don't worry if it doesn't make sense at first. I will explain. I want you to hear this. This is what God says in Psalm 8. He says, Out of the mouths of babies and infants, children, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. You know what that means? Probably not. I'll explain. I will say this. It means, first of all, parents, especially parents with very small children, it appears from God's word that God has purposed the cries of your children to silence God's enemies. So maybe the cries in this room are not annoying. Maybe they're tearing down something of darkness in the world. We may eye roll at that a bit, but it's hard to argue. And maybe we could also say this, where there are no cries of children, where children are not welcomed or wanted, God's enemies have a louder voice. But I'll say this again to you all. All children, all kids of sojourn. This verse also means that your singing silences God's enemies. That when you sing songs here with your family, with your parish, you can know I'm fighting the enemy right now. When you sing, the voices of darkness have to shut their mouths so maybe in a way like when we sing we're kind of like Daniel and lions mouths shut I'd love for you to sing this week to sing together to sing in the rest of this gathering and to know that when you do sing and really that goes for all of us that when we sing know that we go on the offensive against the powers of darkness Your singing brings glory to God and it is an assault on the enemy. So let's keep singing and give the devil some hell, if that makes sense. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the glory of your son. We thank you for the power of your word. And we thank you that you came, Jesus, to put every enemy down. The enemies that attack your church, the enemies that attack your people all over the globe. The schemes of the devil that come to injure your bride. The schemes of the devil in the world that continue to injure our world and tempted to lies and deceit and greed and anger and wrath and envy and jealousy and disobedience and sexual morality. But God, we're so grateful and we want, Lord, by your grace to be heralds more and more of the message that the kingdom has come, the good news that Christ has come, he's lived, he's died, he's risen, he's ascended, he rules, he reigns, that that would be the shocking, astonishing proclamation. And that by that, you would continue to tear down everything evil in this world. Lord, would you use all of us, would you use our prayers? Would you use our voices? Would you inspire prayers? Would you inspire our voices? Would you inspire a love and need and hunger and pursuit of your word? So like David, that we would store it up in our hearts that we might not sin against you. God, fashion us and shape us. But for these purposes, or that we might fight along with you against the powers of darkness, against the real enemy, <laughs> guard us, sober us, but enliven us, and may our hearts truly, may they be buoyed with joy and rest, because we know that our king has brought Sabbath rest close. Please help us, we pray. We ask it in your name. Amen.